beginning in verse 30 of Ephesians 4. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. For several weeks now, as we've been studying about putting off the old man and putting on the new man, we have echoed this warning in these words over and over again that we must be careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit because we truly can do that. We truly can grieve Him. We can resist Him. We can quench His holy fire and prevent His precious work from moving on forward within us. But think for a moment. How is such a thing possible that you and I, so small, at least seemingly so, and insignificant when considered in this giant scope of all existence, How is it that you and I are able to grieve the heart of such an almighty and omnipotent God? It's because we're not really small and we're not really insignificant in His eyes. You and I are His beloved children, His beloved sons and daughters, and we are precious in His sight. And because He loves us with such a great love, He has opened His heart up to us which brings with it then this possibility of our wounding his heart when we do some of the things that we do. It's as simple as that. And we can bring grief to his heart in so many different ways, just with who we are, our personalities, with the way that we think, with the way that we treat other people, and especially with the way we fail to trust in him as we were singing there a moment ago. We fail to trust Him and acknowledge Him in all of the things that are taking place in our day. Listen to these words. These are words that we quote often from Proverbs 3. It begins with a plea and it ends with a promise telling us to trust Him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. And He wants to do that. Folks, the simple truth is from that very first moment that you and I received Christ as our Savior, we were immediately adopted into God's family and we became sons and daughters of His. Scripture tells us that we are co-heirs with Christ that God loves us with an everlasting love. And as part of His adoption, He has placed His Holy Spirit within us to be our constant companion. It's called our paraclete. He's a constant companion. And He lives within us. And He's involved up close in all the things that take place in your and my daily life. Some of the smallest, most seemingly insignificant things that take place are often His hand to guide us in one direction or another. But He's always at work in everything that takes place. He is sanctifying and cleansing us from all the influences of sin that are so 
ready to, to enter into our lives and bring us grief. And he protects us from the attacks of the demonic world. And they swirl all around us all of the time, willing to insert themselves into our lives. And the Holy Spirit's constantly protecting us from them. And so for those reasons and for many, many more, you and I ought to get to know the Holy Spirit far better than we know Him. Now in thinking of these thoughts about the Holy Spirit, I was reminded of a conversation that I had with my granddaughter some weeks back. She asked me if I really believed in the individual natures of the members of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The question was asked during a discussion about some of the Jehovah's Witnesses' beliefs and how they differed from the beliefs that are held in the mainline Christian churches. And regarding belief in the Holy Spirit, that Jehovah's Witnesses' doctrine teaches that God is only one person. That Jesus was just an ordinary man who became holy. And to some extent like God. And that the Holy Spirit is not an actual person. But rather he is simply a manifestation of the inner being of God the Father. Much like your and my spirit is a manifestation of our inner being. Well, I responded to my granddaughter that, yes, I do believe in the Trinity. And that God truly is one God. But that God exists in the personage of three separate and distinct people. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And while those thoughts and that knowledge is too high and lofty and too incomprehensible for our small minds to grasp, it's still nonetheless absolutely true. And that whenever our intellect falls short in its ability to understand those high and lofty matters, faith then must step forward and become the means to help us apprehend those truths. And that is also true for most all of those matters of accepting God as who He is. Whether we be debating about the Trinity or simply clinging to hope in times of our trials. Faith is the pathway that must be taken by each of us, else we'll be left completely without hope. Intricate within the definition of faith is hope. Faith is hope coming into fruition. Now our conversation there with my granddaughter took place while our family was visiting with our daughter to celebrate our most recent birthdays. And our conversation gave me pause to think about my own advancing birthdays and what they really mean to me personally. And while I know that some people rue the the passing of the years, uh, I don't mind the passing of my years. And I don't mind the thought of the passing of my years very much at all because they are a reminder of God's continuing grace towards me year by year. And I truly do look forward to the promises of heaven. Those days when my time here on this earth will be no more. That day when future eternity will become the ever-present now. I love that that image as I think about the ever-present 
now. That's how it's going to be in heaven. There'll be no time there. And I also must confess to you that I could not face even one of these days now if I had any doubts about my future days. They're in heaven, in my eternity. And especially if I were like so many people that even the scriptures talk about that have no hope, no hope at all about their life to come. The Apostle Paul worded it this way in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. He said, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Thankfully, I have hope. And I have a firm confidence that just as God has been so generous in his blessings towards me in this natural life for all of these many years, he will surely continue with that same loving provision throughout all of eternity. And it is in these words that we are studying here today that I gain such confidence. I want you to look back on this verse 30 with me and note that these words not only contain this warning for us to not grieve the Holy Spirit, they also tell us that the Holy Spirit has sealed us for the day of redemption. May I say that we too often get caught up in one portion of many of these verses here in Scripture, and we fail to catch every portion of those verses. And this is so very important. This portion that tells us that we are sealed for the day of redemption. Now consider these words. These words are a very clear, intentional group of words to assure you and me that the Holy Spirit is far more than what the Jehovah's Witnesses claim that he is. That the Holy Spirit is nothing more than just a thought process of God. A thought process, first of all, cannot be grieved. A person can be grieved, but a thought process cannot be grieved. And so that's one more evidence that the Holy Spirit is a real person. And then these next words telling us that the Holy Spirit is our seal for the day of redemption. A thought process cannot be a seal. It's only a person that can be an ever-present seal to protect you and me and to keep us until the day of our redemption. Let me read those words again. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. The question and the answer that I shared with my granddaughter directly relates to all of these attributes of the Holy Spirit and they also directly relate to my ponderings concerning my advancing years and my confidence about the eternal life that I will enjoy with Christ in heaven. Because there's some other factors involved in the Jehovah's Witness doctrine that we were discussing. And that is that it's not just their understanding of the Trinity that's corrupted, it's also their views on other things, and especially about heaven and hell. They've gone completely off course in their beliefs, and especially in their beliefs about hell. Their beliefs are just irreconcilably corrupt. 
in their quest to make God into an image that they can accept. They have completely ruled out the possibility of an actual hell. I shared with you on another occasion that I learned my hobby of working on watches and clocks from a Jehovah's Witness elder. And so I became very familiar with their doctrines because he was an elder and he was constantly at my shoulder as I would work with him on these clocks and watches. And I did that very often over a four-year period. So he had my ear a lot. And you cannot imagine the number of times that he would use the expression, I cannot believe in a God who would. And then he would add whatever a circumstance was, like permit war to take place or permit a child to be born deformed or many other examples. What he wanted to do was mold God into an image that he could trust. One of the things that he said, I can't believe in a God who would commit a person to eternal hell, to suffering in the burning pits of hell. And so that's their doctrine. That's just not his beliefs. That is their doctrines. They do not believe in an actual hell, and especially that burning pit of fire that we read about here in the book of Revelation. They teach that those who are unsaved simply go to their grave, and their existence completely ceases. There are no penalties and no retribution. But sadly, that's not what these scriptures say. May I read these for us? This is Revelation 20, beginning in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great, and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in him, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone, listen, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Can these words be any clearer? To not believe in hell, in this lake of fire, is to deny the authenticity of Scripture, the truths of Scripture. And if you remove this portion, then you have to remove other portions. And then which portions would be trustworthy? Listen, the truth is when you and I breathe our last in this life, immediately we are then transported into the timeless existence of God. And then as Hebrews 9.27 tells us, we are judged just as we are told here. In Revelation 20. And this judgment is absolutely final. It's a point in time when all of the decisions of life have already been made. Cast into stone. 
with no further work to be done and no other appeals to be made. And it's then, folks, that we'd better have our beliefs and our doctrines straight. Simply put, Revelation 20 says, if a person's name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, then the very next step is the burning lake of fire. Not a comfortable grave where our minds are simply shut down completely and we think no more. Hell is an eternal burning pit where people will be constantly aware of their suffering and the reasons for it. Sadly, as we know, it's not just the Jehovah's Witnesses that have a corrupt understanding of these truths about heaven and hell. It is most all the people of the earth who have it wrong. Blinded by the evil one, Scripture tells us. They're blinded to these unchangeable consequences. Sadly, such penalties as the burning pit of hell are not preached in our churches today. Certainly not very often. To give what would be called a hellfire and brimstone message is passe, out of fashion in today's deliverance-oriented church settings. But listen, we have to understand this clearly. Just because it's not preached, and just because we don't want to believe it, and just because we want to think other thoughts about God, these verses that I just read to you, they really, really are true. They are are eternal truths that cannot change. If your name, and if my name, is not written in the Lamb's book of life, then the eternal pit of hell will become our absolute end. For you and me today, as we read these words, we need to take serious the warnings given to us here in these scriptures. All of them are very true. All of this will really take place. Now, with all that being said, if we really are saved, and if we really do have our names written in the Lamb's book of life, then the second part of this verse 30 is also absolutely true. That the Holy Spirit has placed His unbreakable seal upon us. And His seal will keep us safe and secure for the day of our final redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. What does this seal mean? What does it mean to us personally, those of us who are saved? I love the way God condescends to our weakness of understanding. He wants you and me to fully grasp His promises regarding our eternal salvation. And so He gives us these assurances using simple earth-related examples, such as the ones that call the Holy Spirit our surety, our deposit, guaranteeing our final redemption. Listen to these words. This is Ephesians 1 verse 13. 
And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him, listen, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And then the verses that I read to you before the service began from John chapter 10. My sheep, Jesus said, hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And my Father and I are one. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee of your and my final redemption if we have Christ as our Savior. And by him giving us this visual example of the seal, we're able to better understand and grasp what he's promising us here. That's why we can have not only hope, we can have absolute assurance. Hope has still a mystery involved with it. But what the Lord is saying to us here is, I want you to be absolutely sure This is something that I don't want you to wonder or waver about. That that very moment when you breathe your last here in this life, then you will immediately be greeted in heaven with the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. So then, while yes, these words of verse 30 give us this stern warning about not grieving the Holy Spirit, they also give us this blessed confidence that once we've received Christ, we are His, eternal. No one can snatch us out of His hand. May I say, not even ourselves. No one is able to take us out of His hand or out of His Father's hand, and that no one includes you or me by our behavior, by our misdeeds. Now, before we close, I want to strongly urge you and me again to get to know God's Holy Spirit more and better than we do. Not only will we be blessed by knowing Him better, we're going to have the good and the right answers for all of those that might come knocking on our door. Perhaps those Jehovah's Witness folks who need this gospel. And you and I are required to give it to Him. But not only them, there are others up close in our families and our friendships who are without hope. We need to have the good and the right answers. And those good and right answers are written on our heart by these scriptures with the power of the Holy Spirit. But let me say to you, it must begin with you and me. It must begin with you and me. 
And you and I need to ask ourselves this question. Are we truly saved? I've said to you on other occasions, some people don't like to go back and ask themselves that question. Simply asking yourself the question does not unsave you. It has no possibility of unsaving you. So there can be no harm in you asking yourself. And so you and I need to ask ourselves, are we saved? Are we truly saved? Is our name written in the Lamb's book of life? And what I would say to you and me today is if we are not absolutely sure, absolutely sure, then we need to surrender our hearts this very day because today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may never come. May I close with the words we've been studying here today. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's pray.